hello and welcome back for this a special episode for Mental Wellness Week with the Listen Boys and Girls podcast with me, Donna Gales. I'm so pleased that you came back on this bonus Friday edition to conclude our series of conversation regarding mental wellness. It has truly been a phenomenal week of great insight, information, and conversation with dynamic women who are making a difference every day for those who are connected to them and in their communities. We had a wonderful conversation with Shate Thompson on Monday. On Wednesday, Dr. Halcyon Francis. And returning today is my friend Leah Chapman, who is going to round us out talking about mental wellness, but with a focus on trauma. And one of the reasons that I wanted to focus there is because myself, having survived a number of traumas, I recognize that while we don't automatically connect things we've gone through to behaviors that manifest years later, there's definitely correlation between the two. As I used to tell my young people, all things are preparation for all things. I would use that in the context of a good way of saying, you know, you, you're going through lessons that will prepare you for circumstances to come. But at the same time, all things are preparation for all things, meaning some of the traumas that we've gone through will allow us to be positioned a particular way for things that come later. And how we've dealt with that trauma will ultimately identify how we respond in the situations later on in our lives. And so because I'm not the mental health professional, I want to make sure that I leave space in your hearts and mind for the conversation to come. I'm thankful again for this building block because mental wellness is a fundamental that you need in order to be a better person because there's so much connected to being Um, ill in that area that causes us to lose out on many opportunities in our lives. And as we are able to benefit and prosper as our soul prospers, I want to thank Ryan Picker for that uh, tidbit that he shared. We're able to move forward in different ways. And that is a tremendous blessing for us. And so without further ado, we'll get into it. Welcome back, Mrs. Leah Chapman. How are you? I am well. How are you, Donna? I'm doing good. I know you are all rested and relaxed with your vacation that you had. (laughs) Beautiful place. I'm glad to have you back and have you back on the Listen Boys and Girls podcast this, this week. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited about being back and seeing how we can, you know, continue to assist uh, your listening audience. Absolutely. You know, um, I know that this podcast being divinely orchestrated was not something that was haphazard. I got instruction to do it and I recognize that it is not just a blessing for other people, but for myself as well as I'm getting information, I'm getting new tools, I'm having good conversations that are enhancing my life as well. So as we are in the process of the building blocks of being and becoming better people, this week's building block is so significant of M for mental wellness. And I know that we could talk about that every day of the year and still have lots to uncover, lots to discuss. But this week we we talked and it was purposeful for me to have three dynamic Black women therapists to come and talk about this concern because I first and foremost am a black woman and I am a strong proponent for mental wellness and mental health services but more than that I am part of a community that does not readily embrace therapy services because of the stigma because of you know what we think and what we believe about it and I just want to be part of the conversation that dispels those myths about you know, just being well mentally, because we want to be well physically, you know, we want to be well emotionally, 
and it's all tied together. So I just wanted to have you back because I know that you are committed and you're passionate about really helping people through traumas and through the Mm -hmm. mental, emotional, spiritual disturbances that come with just living. Right. Um, Lots of people don't perceive themselves to have any trauma or perceive themselves to have any kind of need, quote unquote, for therapy. When I just believe, you know, it's a it's a part of or it should be a part of our, you know, maintenance and our making sure that we're staying healthy mentally as well. So I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about some of your area of expertise because you do deal with a lot of those who have experienced traumas. First right, of all, right. how is, what, what is trauma? Yeah, that's what I actually was going to start out with, right? So, <laughs> so when we, you know, um, talk about trauma, I think that um, it's loosely, right, used. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like love <laughs> and friends, right? Right, right. Um, because there is a lack of definition that's associated with it. Um, So I like to often break down trauma, especially with the clients um, that I assist. I break down trauma through the lens of just right PTSD, which is the actual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when we look at PTSD, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. So the P post is looking at the past. Mm-hmm. Um, the T for right trauma or traumatic mm-hmm. is looking at something that is um, overwhelming to the psyche. It is something that you used a word that was kind of key when you say that it, it is a disturbance of some sort, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at stress, it, it again is something that is difficult for one to manage and then when we look at distress it comes and it disrupts right your everyday patterns sure um and so that really is ptsd right kind of um again for the novice for someone that is kind of new um to the thought process of what trauma is it's just looking at your past something that was difficult for you to deal with on you know and manage um and it's disruptive to your your daily cycle and I, you know, let me just put a pin in that right there because okay. we hear that term a lot, but most people associate PTSD with military service and they're mm-hmm. dismissive about the fact that it is not a military term. Right. You know, I, I appreciate you because again, we hear things in passing, we hear it tossed around just like, you know people with no expertise or understanding will hear the diagnosis bipolar and see someone you know displaying certain behaviors and they'll say oh that person's bipolar not with without an understanding right that really means so when a lot of people hear ptsd they automatically think of a veteran or somebody that's been in military service because that's where we really started hearing the conversation with reference to veterans but I just want to clarify for anybody who is listening it is not related to military it's related to living (laughs) yeah exactly it's related to life um and I I think that a lot of the conversation of course was centered on the military because that's where the funding was Mm -hmm. being distributed right okay and Mm -hmm. so when we're looking at America um we definitely uphold our veterans certainly um but we tend to forget right about marginalized individuals Mm -hmm. um beyond right those that have served in the military and fought um for the lives of uh individuals within our country um and so you know, there's a large population of individuals that will get overlooked regarding services, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that need it. Sure. Um, and so when we focus solely on one population, it allows for others to, to kind of go underneath the radar. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much because they want to. Um, for some, they may want to avoid it, which is one of the um, symptoms of trauma is avoidance. Sure. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of opening up that conversation um, more fully Uh, whenever we I do a trauma assessment with uh, some of my clients. One of the key uh, questions is, are you living in a country, right, 
that you are experiencing war or gun violence and they tend to get stumped <laughs> and, and I say you know just, just kind of sit with that for a minute I want you to really think about the environment in which you live mm-hmm. right and I want you to look at um, whether or not it is peaceful um, whether or not you feel safe in that space Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you right are worried again about your safety, are you waking up frequently? Is there disruption right again in your day to day activity due to a level of fear of potentially some sort of violence, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, I break it down to like gang violence, and even if it's not a gang, right, just kind of community violence, and they're like, oh wow, maybe I do live right in a space of war. Right, And then you can drill that thing down all the way to the family home and the My family goodness. system My goodness, and, you know, uh, unpack whether or not I feel safe in my home. Hmm. Um, and so, again, you know, it's just kind of spending some time with it, looking at it and having someone to kind of guide you through that process. Yeah. You know, something that you said is so powerful because connecting all of the dots because a lot of times we hear information and bits and pieces and we don't have the wherewithal or the thought process at the time to connect the dots so I am just doing that in this conversation as you made reference to PTSD and also it being the past and then the trauma or disturbance and a lot of people had very turbulent childhoods and yeah. they feel that because they lived through it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and they survived it, it's, mm-hmm. they're good. I, I got through it. I'm good. And so many people have had really, really devastating things happen to them in the fundamental stages of life, but they continue to live. And we get mm-hmm. into the survival mode and we mm-hmm. don't ever turn that off. Yeah, we're yeah. taught to turn it off and have tools to redirect our energies and live differently. But but so many of us, especially you know, I'm from the D. <laughs> right, right, right. Consistent mm-hmm. trauma. <laughs> yeah. Know, okay. Yeah. War, you know, walk. I I remember when I was born to Peterson in my in in the eleventh grade year, and my my mom mm-hmm. told me not to wear. My cousin had given me this coat, this full length leather coat with mink trim, and I thought I was mm-hmm. so fine. And my mother said, don't wear that to school. Right. But I wanted everybody to know I had it because it was a banging coat. Right, right, right. I wear it to school, to Peterson. Like, who needs Mm -hmm. to wear that to Peterson? But anyway. Right. Right. You know, my brother and I caught the bus to to the, we caught the bus to the bus to get to um, Peterson. (laughs) And I'm walking home, east side of Detroit, get off the bus on Jefferson. My brother wants to stop at my aunt's house who lives two blocks away from us. So I just Mm -hmm. keep going. I keep walking. Not not five, seven minutes after my brother and I parted ways, I got what was at that time called checked in. Mm -hmm. I robbed at gunpoint and the person actually pulled the trigger. But the wow. gun didn't discharge. Wow. But I, I I felt traumatized in that moment. But then at the same time, because I was still alive, I was like, oof, that that was messed up. But right. more than just messed up. You know what I mean? And right. I, literally I just thought about that because I never really I never really um felt that out of the ordinary per se. Because it was just a part of living in Detroit. It was just a part of you just hope it doesn't happen to you and if it does you hope that you live and because yeah. I did it was just like Ooh, cool I'm I'm still alive but I, I'm yeah. processing that now I think about all the different scenarios circumstances that people living in any inner city or any environment where they're just used to that kind of environment and it's something that we created functionality from dysfunction mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, we normalize certain types of behaviors yeah. because we're exposed to it, right, mm-hmm. on a continued basis. Mm-hmm. And to a certain degree, you know, and this may sound controversial, um, but the fact that we must thrive and we must survive in certain spaces that may be harmful, right? Right. Um, we 
we find that we do become very resilient individuals. Truly. Um, when you look at like slavery, right? Mm-hmm. One of the worst times that anyone could even imagine having to live through and to know that they came out on the other side to the point that we are still alive, right? right. That we are here um, shows how resilient of a people, at least the African-American community I'm speaking of at this time, um, has been. Um, was that detrimental, right? Mm-hmm. Having to be whipped, um, having to be neglected where it comes down to food and proper shelter and those sorts of things. Wholeheartedly it was. Right. Sure. Um, But there is something that is planted deep within that allows for us to still continue to live. And we call that protective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in urban cities, you find a lot of strong individuals, although we may not always want to be strong. um, There's something that is instilled within us that has been passed down from generations, you know, to generation that allows for us to thrive. But then there are some harmful things as well, as you're speaking of, right, mm-hmm. um, that are injurious to our psyche, um, which in turn affects our physical health. Um, and so we have to be able to kind of parse those things out, right? We got to look at, okay, like you said, you were able to normalize this somewhat, and, and you see that some individuals will take it as a badge of honor. Right, right. right. Like, yo, dog, I got, you know, uh, shot the other day. Look at this. Right. Right, and they showing it proudly. Sure, I've seen it. Um, I've seen it. Right, you know what I'm saying? And so they, they are looking at this, and, and they are um, glorifying, mm-hmm. right, something that is so painful, and we see that as being, right, silly or, or um, unwise and definitely forwarding a narrative that shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But if you were the one that was being shot, right, mm-hmm. how would you be able to manage getting through it? I remember when I was um, doing my field practicum and I was um, working in substance abuse. So I was at um, a detox and residential facility and there was a psychologist that had uh, come in and he would often do these brown bag luncheons. Okay. And so, you know, we look at uh, trauma or just, right, these difficult spaces of life. And we look at the comorbidity of it. Uh, so, like, intersectionality of pain and numbing out mm-hmm. with substances, right? Right, right. Um, and so he, he said this one thing that was so profound and it just stuck with me. He said, you know what? I understand why someone would use drugs. Mm -hmm. Like, I get it. If you had to live the life of certain individuals, you too would probably have made the same choice that these individuals did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, you know, um, we look at the byproduct of pain sure um and and we may look down on it we may judge it um and definitely if you're one of right a christian faith Mm -hmm. um have some strong positions regarding it but when you go back right to the experiences for some direct as you kind of shared your story direct experiences or a witness of within the family system or the environment, um, you would too see why some individuals need to numb out Sure, and you would offer grace, <laughs> right? You would offer a level of understanding um, with those individuals as they kind of walk their journey. I was just talking to someone uh, earlier about addiction period and how that correlates with trauma and just numbing and comforting yourself. Although I've, I've not, you know, use drugs at all. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I had food addiction and addiction right. is addiction is addiction. No matter what you choose, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, shopping, food, whatever you choose to numb the pain as opposed to deal with it, process it, let it heal is, is something that is as detrimental as the trauma because ultimately it will not allow you to grow and you're continuing to you know, compound that, that initial injury because you're not working through it. Right. Right. You're surviving through it. it. And at so much so to a point that 
depending on, right, if you were to have a, a continuum um, to assess the amount of pain. So when we're looking at trauma, we have simple trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So a one-time incident where something may have happened or occurred. Um, and then you have complex trauma, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're looking at one thing on top of the next, on top of the next, right? Mm-hmm. To the point of a person losing their mind, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we have to be mindful that um, when the addictive right aspects come about um how best can we get to a space where the addiction does not end up taking us out and that is i think the biggest aspect of um the need especially in the black community to Mm -hmm. kind of end the stigma right of getting mental health services sure um albeit we we may need to come up with a different name that you know um is more palatable to our people. Yeah. But the reality is, is that the pain that we are immersed in um, on a continued basis um, cannot be ignored. We cannot avoid it. No matter how bad that pain hurts us mm-hmm. to have to revisit it, to have to look at it and acknowledge it um, and to have to go through, right. Um, whether it was one incident or multiple having to kind of go through, right. That, that, um, full process of healing from it is is key. It's critical. It it really is. And you know what? I think in the framework of these conversations, we really do tend to focus on women because women seem to be more responsive to the idea of, of processing and getting, uh, the healing and the help that they need, but men men do it too, not as often though as as women. And last year, I had a book club that I was um, leading, and we read "Cry Like a Man" by Jason Wilson. Are you familiar with that? No, I haven't heard that. Mm-mm. Oh, it's it's a book that was okay. written by a man. He he's actually in Detroit. He's a okay. like a teacher, trainer, coach type of thing for young men, and he he the book is really really good, and okay. a lot of in my book club, mostly women read it. And so a couple of men read it and found it to be very, very profound, but some men read it and, and felt uncomfortable reading it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, Oh no, he, you know, this, this is just like uh, to sell books or whatever the case. And so one of the things, one of the quotes that he has in the book that has stuck with me, even to this day, because I think about, all of the brothers that I know from Detroit and, and, and because again, this man is from Detroit and he talks about his experiences and, you know, seeing classmates shot and his brother being killed and his brother, you know, being found in the Detroit river and all this other stuff. Um, he said that a man's concerns are often dismissed like a dog's bark when there's no trouble. Sadly, hmm. warnings are rarely heeded before the thief steals everything, even the dog. Hmm. Powerful. That, oh, it was so powerful to me because yeah, I that I, I use that context as a lens to look at a lot of situations that I was perceiving, and men do have indicators that there's something wrong, but oh yeah, they may or may not recognize it themselves that something is wrong. But there are it's 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 like a dog's bark, you know. Their mm-hmm. their concerns oftentimes get swept under the rug or dismissed because they're a man it's like oh you you a man suck it up you know that's not that's not an issue for you or you know don't cry don't be like a girl or don't don't you you crying like a woman or a little punk right right masculinity Mm -hmm. or toxic masculinity as many people have referenced as as but a lot of a lot of things impede men from Mm -hmm. actually connecting to these type of resources what would you say to a man who was dealing with maybe like a groundhog day kind of experience, just going over <laughs> the same kinds of things or repeating the same kind of, you know, instances, behaviors, whatever, and not, not really understanding or connecting to maybe a past trauma or even something that's happening in their own experience now that they just don't connect their concern with um, a need for help. What would you say? Well, I mean, Again, you know, it, it comes down to the, the bare bones of whether or not someone is going to be courageous enough to acknowledge their pain. Everyone knows when they're hurting. 
I don't care if you're a man, woman, boy, or girl, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The body um, is, is our largest alarm system. The mind controls the body. A lot of times they like to sever it in conversation, right? Mental health. No, it, it is complete, you know, health. Right. Um, and so the body will give you physiological or it, within the body, it will give you warning signs, right? Alarms. Um, whether it be racing thoughts, right? Whether it be the fact that you cannot concentrate on a day-to-day basis, uh, the fact that you're unable to, right, sleep, um, you know, your eating is being disrupted, whether you're eating more, you're eating less, mm-hmm. um, whether you're finding, right, that you're you're dealing with nausea or um in men, you'll find a lot of their pain comes out in anger and aggression, right? <laughs> and so the clenching of the teeth, right? The balling up of the fist, mm-hmm. um, all of those sorts of things, your body is giving you warning signs that, hey, something is going on here right. that needs to be acknowledged. Now, if you had a toothache, I promise you would not sit. Right. You're going to find the nearest dentist. You write about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because that thing will blow your head off literally. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with men and especially sadly within the black community, we have this whole notion and you kind of referenced it a bit um, earlier, this, uh, you know, man up sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. I said one day I'm gonna write a book called uh, man up, man down. Okay. Listen, <laughs> and um, with that, right, is the need to feel, and so when the anger comes out, it is the safest, I would say, way for a man to continue their machismo mm-hmm. and get out emotion at the same time. But if we're saying right, <laughs> and it was funny, I used to work at a. a high secure juvenile facility and majority of my staff were men Mm -hmm. and we would circle up every day. We'd have to give like affirmations and then we would process kind of where we were. And you know, you know me Don. I'm going to have a deep conversation, right? I don't care how old you are. We are going to engage in some critical thinking here. We're going to tap in. And so they'd be like, Oh no, you know, she wants us to tap in again. And I'm like, yeah, because tapping in allows you to feel Right. And it allows you to be human. Right. And so the persona that a lot of our men present with is this anger and this rage and this reckless type of behavior um, when all they really need is a safe space mm-hmm. to feel. Mm-hmm. And so if that means the development of male groups, of which we really don't have many, um, the development of male groups where they can begin to come together and be vulnerable um, in the space or in the face of other males, then they will begin to see, wow, this is really healthy, right? Yeah. I'm beginning yeah. to feel better. I like myself better when I am not, right, enraged, um, when I am not Uh, tearing apart relationships and hurting those that I truly love, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how to articulate what I'm feeling on the inside. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I I just think that societally we have to begin to um, create safe spaces for men to feel right now. They have to continue to go along with the imagery that's been presented, right? And that's a, a imagery of machismo. Yeah. It's so sad because, you know, I I, I was thinking about that and uh, one of my counselors many years ago told me very much the same thing, that anger um, is a safe emotion for men to express. So they mm-hmm. will often express anger, but not fear, you know? Yeah, because it's a power and control dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. And so if men are to be powerful, we see them doing what? Pumping iron all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Even when they are incarcerated at, at a low, the thing that they go to to at least give the imagery, right? That they are not as low as what this, right, newfound space of living is, they pump iron. Yeah. So now I get bigger and bigger and bigger. And now I'm the big man on the block. 
it's a power and control dynamic. That's all it is, right? And so when I am not powerful, then that means I'm weak. And if I'm weak, then I no longer am able to carry the responsibilities, the roles, right? The expectations if I show weakness. And so we need to be able to break down that barrier for men and let them know. And, and we know this as black women, we got our man's back. For sure. Okay. For so sure. we're going to have your back no matter what. Um, we just need you to be honest, open, and transparent. And so when I work with my clients, I often tell them the only way you will be able to heal is through, right, your honesty. And that that is something that all of us need to sit with because it does us no good to say we want to change when we're not willing to be honest and open and vulnerable about the things that need to change. I'll, I'll share this, but not that, you know, right. I, well, I'll talk about this, but not that. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't layers or stages at which you reveal certain things, because of course you're not going to one day sit down and tell everything that's ever happened in your whole life. But some might, you know, but it's not expected that a person is going to just, you know, sit down and tell 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years worth of experiences in one day and just be over it. That's not how it happens. That's not even reasonable to assume. But we, like you said, starting to create the safe spaces for men. And and oftentimes it's, it's difficult for us as women to do that because there's so many things associated with the male female dynamic, especially for those who have very strong mothers. Right. Like my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and mine. <laughs> my father died when I was five. So, okay. Uh, you know, it's a joke. It's a running joke in the family that my mother is concrete cottony, honey. Cause uh, <laughs> she don't play no games. And you know, it, it is, it is unfortunate when um when the family structure is is modified to a place where it doesn't offer what God intended, but He's still God, yeah. and He oh, still yeah. keeps us. And like you said, a lot of those experiences build the resilience for who we must be in the future. And so, even though it's not quote unquote ideal, or we don't feel that we oftentimes had what we what we feel we should have. I of course I wish. You know, I had my dad beyond five years. I think I'm 47. I think about my dad every day. And some right. people understand that and some people don't, you know, but right. at the same time, we can't, I, I look at that and say, we can't minimize anybody else's experiences because, you know, because my dad died at five and I've lived, you know, 42 years without him and still struggle sometimes with not having had him in my experience doesn't mean that somebody else with a similar experience has the same feelings so exactly you know, and I, I like that you brought that out yeah. is because with trauma right mm -hmm. what happens to you may happen to me and we will have a completely opposite reaction absolutely right absolutely. and so a lot of times the onlooker right the one that's observing um, another's life may say, hey, you should be feeling a level of pain. And they may not. Right. Um, and it's all contingent on, right, the time and the place that it occurred, mm -hmm. as well as those that were involved or at a level of support for them. Mm -hmm. How did they respond? Sure. Right. Exactly. So when you say you had concrete Connie, then, right, she may have put inside of you just by your observation of her responses, a level of resilience that allowed you to get through something where someone else, right, may have experienced that same um, type of scenario and their response was breaking down, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I often laugh um, when my oldest daughter was uh, young. <laughs> and again, being a single mom of two, you learn how to be mom and dad, right? <laughs> and so... Um, my my oldest daughter, she would fall, and I'm like, okay, get on up. And she would fall, get on up. <laughs> and it wasn't a, a, you know, oh no, no coddling. Come here. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't any of the coddling that, that was going on. And then there was um, a friend of mine, right? And they had a child that was the same age. They actually were a couple of weeks apart. Mm -hmm. And they had a boy and their boy would fall 
And the response was, oh, boo-boo, come here. And he was falling. Listen, every time I'm having a good old <laughs> and the powerful meaning is coming through, this old technology fails me, but I will not be defeated. <laughs> and so you were saying that your friend had the boy and he would fall and go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. So basically saying, you know, that... Um, same age, right? Same type of situation, but vastly different responses. And it's based on the support network of the individual, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that with trauma, um, that it's not just solely based on the exposure to a particular event, but also the response of the individual support network. Um, And so where one, may say, wow, this is just kind of overwhelming to me. I I don't have um, the tools. I don't have the support to be able to manage um, this current reality or my past, right, reality. Mm -hmm. Um, And another may, right, be going through that same exact situation and and have um, a support network that's able to, to uphold them as they go through this process. And contingent upon their response to that person, right? Again, communication, relationship is so key. Um, Contingent upon the response of their support network will allow them to either bypass Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. trauma to them or at least soften the blow. Right, right. And, you know, it's it's so interesting that you would bring that, that up because we do see different parenting styles. We see different styles of responding to anything. And we, we watch these things play out and that's what makes us all different. We all started from a different point. We'll all end at different points, but in the middle, we intersect all kinds of ways. And you know, what I feel or perceive another person may not because they haven't had all of the experiences that I've had. And I try to remind people that when you, come in contact with someone you're coming in contact at that point but also everything that they've experienced prior to meeting you oh yeah oh yeah we like to call that luggage i mean baggage that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. but yeah yeah, like literally it's a compilation of um that individual's experiences um but i guess you know it since we're focusing on trauma um this evening I kind of want to make certain that we we understand that everything isn't trauma. Right. Right. So if everything was trauma, there would be no trauma. Right. Right. Um, right. It would be but normal. I, it would be it normal. normal. You got it. And right. so um, just kind of, again, being on the outside looking in when individuals present um, to us, um, whether they be a significant Um, space or take up a significant you know role within our lives um, we have to honor what comes and then if we identify that something may be the question would then follow up as how has this affected you like what has happened how do you see it and not to apply our thoughts onto that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a need for, of course, a level of education, a level of insight, um, maybe a conversation on exposure, right, of what uh, a traumatic situation may look like. Again, as we kind of talked about, thriving and surviving looks vastly different um, to someone that had to be in a certain space than one who may not have and and can recognize, right, the danger that they were in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it is a continued level of what one would call kind of in vivo exposure, kind of like touching in to a situation. Um, we, We often in therapy talk about something else is called like an expansion of one's window of tolerance. Okay. Sometimes with trauma, because it does hurt so bad, um, because many will avoid it because it gives continued reminders 
um, you will find that individuals have intrusive thoughts and, and those thoughts will take you back, right, to mm-hmm. those spaces of pain, that they will run from you if they identify that you are on to their pain, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes mm-hmm. they can't hide it completely. Wow. And so when they begin to sense, right, that you're sniffing around their pain a bit much, they will easily, right, break away. Um, And so what we, you know, kind of coach individuals in doing or recommend with certain individuals, and we do it ourselves as clinicians as well, as we gently touch in and then we try to expand, meaning we expose you just a tad bit more right, to what it is that you're trying to avoid. Um, and that allows them to, to be able to kind of accept that than just kind of jumping in and, hey, tell me all about, right, right? right. This is what happened. Like, you know this went on, so this had to. No, it doesn't, right? And so we have to, to be kind to um, ourselves if we are suffering a level of trauma as well as our loved ones or or individuals that we interface with um, just slowly and gently touch into the pain um, and and you know get their buy-in as well and that that's so important because again nobody likes a wound to be touched at all (laughs) we've all had some sort of injury where you know it ha- it was it opened us and then the healing process was difficult you know it it was uncomfortable but it had to happen and and you know i i think about you know cuz i again i'm in hospice and i i hear about the nurses with the wound care and the changes of dressings and and i've seen a lot of it and you know i i myself have had a wound where it was open and then it had to be packed and then it had to, you know, all these kind of different things to, to have the healing process work. I mean, but it was so many different steps and sometimes it was painful because you don't, you don't want that hurt spot touched again. It's like, don't touch it. Yeah. Yeah. But it has to be touched by the right person, by the right hands. And, you know, as it relates to our mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, pains and traumas and those things it has to be touched by the right people in order for it to heal you can't just have an open wound and just be around everything and everybody because that's how infection happens okay that's how, <laughs> that's how infection happens and i mean yeah. that on every level exactly you know you, exactly you wounded in your spirit and around the wrong people and they could cause you to become septic in that way and it causes death to the spirit that you should be able to have thrive in your life you know and it's, it's mm. hard it's very hard for people who are trying to heal when they allow the wrong things and or people to be around that sensitive time and space and then that can also make a person want to shut down because the wrong people have been invited to the space that has to be sacred and safe And not everybody is sacred and safe. You got it. And so it takes discernment, right, on the individual. And sometimes, you know, with that level of discernment, it's just simply something that you feel. You will know when you are with someone that's safe. Like you said, you know, with a a physical wound, not an emotional wound, but with a physical wound, right, you have anesthesia. Right. Right that can be given right to at least hold you over as the work is being done to let's say suture right or clean Mm -hmm. out or whatever you don't have that when it comes down to (laughs) one's emotional and psychological right trauma um and so it it does it, it takes time right it takes rapport building meaning allowing that person to trust you enough and it may be years you could be in a relationship with an individual you could be married to that you could be the parent of that individual right my Mm -hmm. daughter my eldest daughter um didn't share something with me until she was about 20 years of age we were sitting at dinner and all of a sudden it just blurted out i'm like where did this come from that had nothing to do with the steak we just (laughs) ordered right right but it clearly right had been bubbling up in her but 
now was the moment that she felt safe enough to be able to articulate her pain. Wow. Right? And so we know with food, food builds attachment. It does. When a child comes out, right, where do they put them? Right on mom's breast. Right there. Right? And so... Comfort suckling. Yeah. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) It's real. It is. It definitely is. And it does not go away because these are the neural pathways that's laid very early in our lifetime. And if it wasn't mom's breast, it was near, right, mom's breast with mm-hmm. a bottle. Mm-hmm. But either way, it was food and it built, it built in that level of comfort and safety, right? You Absolutely. were being held, you were swaddled, right? You had gentle tones of voice. Um, you may even have had uh, music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, playing in the background that mom or dad had for you as you were being nurtured. And so as we continue to need nurturing as adults, absolutely, um, we need to build in those safety um, techniques or, or procedures um, in our relationships that will allow for those walls to come down. Mm-hmm. And it will allow the recipient of the other individual's pain to then be seen right as solid as a wall right they become their solid object where they know that they can become weak but not fall completely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's good stuff that's good stuff mrs chapman (laughs) yeah yeah it's real listen and i know that you your time is so valuable and i know that you it, it is it is oftentimes so busy and so i just appreciate you for pausing because I think this is such a relevant conversation and I know that there are people who may never um, you know make the step to go to a office but they may hear this and they may decide maybe they want to call someone and further conversations yeah. and you know steps there you don't get to a all the way from A to Z without every letter in between you know there are right. steps there are steps and so as we move to the close of the conversation just say a little something about now of course this pandemic all the social unrest this election you know if if a person hasn't been traumatized in the past Hmm. yeah our current situation is disturbing oh yeah oh yeah on many levels and so you know can you just uh give us some closing thoughts about moving through healthily through this pandemic, through this process, through this time that we're all experiencing, you know, having come from different experiences up to this point, up up to March, we were all at different levels of, of dealing anyway. And then all of this is happening to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, that that's a heavy thing. I, I look at the Bible per se um, in psychology or in therapy. And when they talk about PTSD, they reference um, this notion. And I, I use this term um, because <laughs> you might hear it in my voice that I'm not in agreement. Um, but they reference this notion that observing the media is not considered a space of traumatization. Hmm. And I disagree. I disagree Um, as well. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, right, if you were on the continued receiving end of generation after generation of stories being shared and passed down um, through family systems, um, and and you match that with what we're seeing uh, 400 plus years later, right, the same level of violence that we're able to see um, through uh, the news through social media, since now we have, you know, our cell phones that can, right, have video recordings on tap. Yes. And um, of murders, no less. I, I'm, yes. Don't please don't share that with me. You know, what I'm exactly. Saying? But I know it's relevant news. But like you said, it's right. You open your phone and now you watching somebody be murdered for like not a movie, but right. someone is being murdered in your hand, basically. Exactly. Right. And so I don't think that, you know, 
when they were writing this book and, and when they were coming up with the diagnostic criterion that they knew that this day was going to be here. Right. So I'm going to try to give them the benefit of the doubt that they did not know that the day was going to come where murder right, was being broadcast day in, day out, um, without fail. And so that, in my opinion, is not only, right, a simple or one-time trauma for an individual that has never witnessed, right, mm-hmm. um, the death of, of an individual, but think about those that have, right? And mm-hmm. so now this is a repeat. This is a re-traumatization of something that has been experienced in times past. And so <clears throat> what I would say is, is if at all possible, try not to feast on the imagery mm-hmm. of what's going on in today's times. Again, not avoiding the fact that it is real, um, that it is something that may actually become a direct experience to you that is a reality as an African-American in today's time, mm-hmm. but not feeding on it. And when I say not feeding on it, I mean 24 hours a day consumption. Right, right. Because you can become um, sucked into this and not see any level of hope anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's the idea, it's the reality and the possibility of hope that keeps us alive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was the music that our ancestors would create and make on their own that gave them hope that there was a life after. Yes. And so we've got to identify where our hope lies. Um, a lot of times in therapy and when, you know, we looked at, especially like the, the whole um, profession, of social work, right? Mm-hmm. The subject matter um, was grounded on spirituality and it's not talked about often. And actually in certain spaces, they kind of like push you away from holding these conversations. But when we're looking at a whole person, right? we can't leave out, right? You cannot. spiritual being. You cannot. You can't do it. It's not, and it's not even about religious affiliation. It's about a spirit being. We are, we, we are spiritual beings. It's exactly. True. We, are, we are comprised of these components and whether you acknowledge every component or not, it still exists. Exactly. And so, you know, to the listening audience, I would say identify where your spiritual grounding is, because that's what's going to keep you solid. It's mm-hmm. going to keep your head above water when you're dealing with um, the social unrest within this particular country. Um, and then lastly, I would say um, there is a, a model that is used and it's called QPR. Um, and it's used for individuals that may be contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's an acronym and it just simply says question, persuade, and refer. And this is something that we utilize for lay people, meaning you do not have to be within the profession. Mm -hmm. Question, persuade, and refer. With the stigmatization of mental health treatment uh, within the Black community, I would say if you identify within a loved one um, or someone within your purview that um, you are kind of noticing that they may be, you know, not at their baseline, meaning they're not their their usual selves. Mm -hmm. Question, right? Kind of lean in and ask them, you know, how are you doing today? Um, I noticed that you're not your happy, jovial self. Um, How are you feeling today? Your tone of voice seems a little sad, a little somber. Um, question, right? And that listen. shows a level of care. And you got listen. it. And question, and before you can say, they say, "Hey, how you doing?" And before you can respond, they they two blocks away because they <laughs> really want to know. Exactly. Yeah. So don't go through the formality. Like, <laughs> right. really care. Right. We, we really want you to care. Question with the uh, intention of getting an answer. <laughs> there you go. Right. As well as, and I tell people this all the time. 
you have to have time when you ask these questions. Don't question without, right, an openness Mm -hmm. to be able to sacrifice self to sit there in that moment and hold that individual's pain. Yeah. Other than that, keep moving. Please. Right? And thank you. Keep moving. Please and You got it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the persuasion, right, the persuade aspect of the acronym is just simply talking with them and letting them know that, you know, maybe you may want to look into having somebody to talk to. If you don't use the terminology as therapy or counseling, that's okay. Just let them know. You know, there's some people out here that's willing to talk. Um, if you're not ready to go or if you right want me to go with you, I will go in the beginning stages until you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. We've got to overextend ourselves Absolutely. for individuals um, instead true. of just kind of doing this quick drive-through assistance. Mm-hmm. can't be like that. And then lastly, when we say refer, that's kind of that that warm handoff to a professional um, that can be able to assist further. So I would say that those are my my last and my closing thoughts. And and hopefully it can be of assistance to someone that is listening today. So are you only able to uh, assist those that are in Michigan? Let's say someone has heard this conversation and they feel a connection to you and want to reach out to you. Uh, consultation services, things of that nature. How are you available? What services do you offer and what's the spectrum of of your reach? Okay, so at this time, um, (laughs) COVID-19 has Mm -hmm. actually helped in, you know, certain regard uh, with mental health teletherapy. Mm -hmm. And so we are allowed to um, assist individuals um, with therapeutic services um, outside of just doing therapy, I'm also right a coach. Um, and so I assist individuals um, through difficult spaces. And so it's not done through therapy, but it's just kind of the interpersonal practice piece of uh, my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they can reach out to me directly. I'm on most, mostly all social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook. Um, my business is Intervene, capital N, T E R V E N E. And so you can find that on Facebook. You can find me at Leah Mills Chapman on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me there under Leah Mills or Leah Mills Chapman um, or either Intervene in those spaces as well. Okay. And that that's great because again, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that these conversations are purposeful and that they will indeed help someone. And I'm of the mind that if it's only one, it could be one, it could be 10, oh, yeah. it could be a hundred, a thousand, a million, doesn't matter to me. If one yeah. person is helped or made better by understanding that they're not alone and that they can reach out through this process, I am thankful. And to that end, I just want to encourage those who are listening to not just listen, but to share it with someone because you never know. I always say that if you've heard it, it's to be received for yourself. But if you allow it to resonate, share it with someone else because that space is not just yours. Everybody has the ability to impact somebody else. And so I want us to all be mindful, boys and girls, that we are not living in these spaces alone. We have shared responsibility in making sure that we support humanity. We're all human. We all Mm -hmm. have difficulty sometimes. We all need a little help sometimes. And um, to Leah's point, COVID has made telehealth extraordinarily popular and accessible. And so if you ever felt discomfort, maybe looking up a therapist, going into an office, this is the perfect time to make that step to connect with someone because you can do your research online. You can, you know, connect with somebody via Skype or Zoom or whatever the case, however they do their telehealth. And you're able to see if there's a light at the end of your tunnel by connecting with someone in a safe space, your own space, your own home. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing more comfortable than being in a space that you say is comfortable for you. You know, there can be some aversion or some some apprehension about physically going into a space where, you know, someone's getting treatment. But if you can be wherever you want and connect, 
that is ideal. And this is a perfect time. We've been given lots of opportunities through this process, although the pandemic has been just treacherous and lots of loss has taken place, but there's lots of restoration taking place as well. So totally. I, I just want to thank you again, Leah, for joining us again on <laughs> the Listen Boys and Girls podcast. And I just want to remind everyone, if you listen, boys and girls, it just might change your world. Go ahead and let it change your world. Y'all have a good one. Thanks again, Donna. I appreciate you for all you're doing. Yes, you too. I appreciate the work that you do and the support that you give our community is much needed. So kudos to you and and God's continued blessing in your work. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.